DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. Well, as usual, it's a complete pleasure to be with you during this time and and through this conversation on the last retreat. So thank you for hosting me. Well, this is going to be a delightful discussion, I think, because we're entering into day 11 of the last retreat, which really isn't day 11. Does that make sense? Uh, That's an interesting way to look at it. We spent quite some time with day 10 because it was so rich. And Elizabeth herself, the ideas of day 10 are are so rich. She writes continued on the 11th day. She continues the same thought she began on the 10th day. It doesn't really bring the 10th day to completion until the 11th day. So these two days kind of go together. It's rich. What we have been looking at is devotion to God the Father. And I I meet any number of people who struggle with their devotion to God the Father. For whatever reasons, this is a devotion that's, I think, needing to be rediscovered at our time. Maybe because uh, fathers have not been as present to us as they ought to have been. Maybe because today men struggle to be good fathers uh, more than in previous times. Elizabeth herself, this devotion is very dear to her. You know, she lost her own father when she was just a little girl. And she lost her, her father and her grandfather. And she, she was just not even six years old. On one hand, that loss was a deep sorrow for her. On the other hand, it got her thinking about heaven. And uh, even as a little girl, as heaven is the place where where her earthly father is. And I think her own devotion to God the Father kind of has its its beginnings in that early childhood experience of grieving the loss of her earthly father. And for us today, as we read these pages, especially I'm thinking about maybe some people who are listening to these discussions who struggle uh, with their own relationship with God the Father because of whatever's happened in their childhood or in terms of broken families or death or a dad simply not being able to be present. I hope these days are kind of healing for uh, people that they realize that notwithstanding the frailty of our earthly fathers, our earthly fathers, whether they were successful or not, God has given them to us to be a sign of our heavenly father. And at the end of the day, we should be grateful for our earthly fathers, even our earthly fathers who have failed. We should learn in our hearts how to forgive them by surrendering our hearts to the Holy Spirit. But the whole purpose of those earthly fathers 
was so that we might come to know God the Father. Whether they failed or whether they did well, God the Father is the one who brought us into existence, who has blessed us with this current moment we have together. He is the one who loves our freedom. He created us to be free so that we could freely choose his goodness and his love. And he blesses us. He blesses us with our identity, his sons and daughters. And he also blesses us with a mission. The mission at once is to build up the church, but that mission is also to come home to our heavenly home and to see that this life is a preparation for the life to come. It's a beautiful preparation with a lot of gifts. and We have great responsibilities in this earthly life that we need to attend to. But the reason why we attend to them is because everything that God the Father has given us is a preparation for a greater fullness he has waiting for us. And it's Blessed Elizabeth who helps us develop a kind of devotion to God the Father that prepares us for the fullness of life and love that he wants to give us. The Lord brought me into a spacious place because he was gracious toward me. The Creator, seeing the beautiful silence which reigns in his creature, and gazing on her wholly recollected in her interior solitude, is enamored of her beauty and leads her into this immense, infinite solitude, into this spacious place sung of by the prophet, which is nothing else but himself. I will enter into the depths of the power of God. Speaking through this prophet, the Lord said, I will lead her into solitude and speak to her heart. The soul has entered into this vast solitude in which God will make himself heard. His word, St. Paul says, is living and active and more penetrating than a two-edged sword, extending even to the division of soul and spirit even of joints and marrow. It is his word, then, that will directly achieve the work of stripping in the soul. For it has this particular characteristic that it affects and creates what it intends, provided, however, that the soul consents to let this be done. But it is not enough just to listen to this word. We must keep it. And it is in keeping it that the soul will be sanctified with the truth. And that is the desire of the Master. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To the one who keeps his word, has he not made this promise? My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. It is the whole Trinity who dwells in the soul that loves them in truth, that is, by keeping their word. And when this soul has realized its riches, 
all the natural or supernatural joys that can come to it from creatures or from God himself are only an invitation to re-enter into itself in order to enjoy the substantial good that it possesses, which is nothing else than God himself. And thus it has, St. John of the Cross says, a certain resemblance to the divine being. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. St. Paul tells me that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and my master asks me also to pay him homage in this regard to do all things according to the counsel of his will. Never to let myself be ruled by impressions, by the first impulses of nature, but to let the will gain self-mastery. And for this will to be free, it must be, in the expression of a pious writer, enclosed in God's will. Then I will be moved by his spirit, as St. Paul says. I will do only what is divine, only what is eternal, and like my unchanging one, I will live even here below in the eternal present. So this last paragraph then refers to ideas that we saw in the 10th day and that we've already begun to comment on in great detail. This whole days 10 and 11 are really about this verse, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we've already specified that when Jesus says this, he does not mean simply do the best you can. Our perfection is always in relation to the perfection of God. And this perfection that we are called to is the perfection of love that God has called us to be like himself. And, and what characterizes who is the Father? Well, the Father is the one who loves the Son. The Father is the one who loves us. And so to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect means to be perfect in our love. And this perfection that we know and love is relative to the absolute perfection of the Father's love. The, the other thing this means is that this perfection, because the Father is someone who is wholly other than us, completely above and beyond anything in this world, anything we can naturally grasp, anything we can naturally understand. Because of this, then, the only way to be perfect the way the Heavenly Father is perfect is to, we need in a certain way to let go of all our own impressions about what perfection is and how things are supposed to be and surrender ourselves to the perfection of God the Father and trust in the providence of God the Father that he is giving us through Jesus everything we know to realize this command. Uh, Elizabeth in this last paragraph talks about being enclosed in the will of God, not living by impressions or first impulses but discerning deeper what God is doing and trusting in what God is doing. You know, Pope Francis gave an interview where he talks about the wisdom of discernment. The wisdom of discernment, he said, redeems 
the necessary ambiguities of life so that we can judge what the most appropriate means of serving God is in every situation. And when he said this, necessary ambiguities, what, why are ambiguities necessary? Uh, uh, trials and tribulations, hardships, these things are the necessary condition for our spiritual growth. And what the Father wants more than anything is for us to grow up spiritually, to become spiritually mature. Because only the spiritually mature can really love. And what is love? Love is the union of uh, wills between friends. And the Father wants us to know friendship with Him so that what He wills and what we will are joined together in this kind of bond where each is anxiously looking out for the good of the other, implicated in each other's good and wanting to see each other flourish. It sounds kind of funny to say that we would want God to flourish because he already does. But that's part of the basis of our friendship with him, to desire with all our heart that his will be done on earth the way it is in heaven, that his name be sanctified, that his name be known as holy. And so this is what Blessed Elizabeth is inviting us to in this. And she introduces in the first couple paragraphs, she introduces a beautiful way looking at what the Father wants to do through welcoming the Word. So, Chris, were you struck by these things that she talked about in terms of entering into solitude so that we could know the power of God? I think it's a place that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with, Anthony, that that idea of solitude because they connect it with silence. And I've heard it said that sometimes there is a suffering that comes from silence because it, you are encountering a, a father you may have never met before. And that's kind of scary, I think, for some. I think so. I think you're identifying the spiritual doctrine of St. John of the Cross. He says there's a multiplicity of different methods in prayer that are very appropriate for people who are beginning the spiritual life. But then he says at a certain stage, after we've begun the spiritual life and as God wants to raise us into proficiency, we don't need that multiplicity anymore. And sometimes what can happen in our spiritual life is that we can be attached to you know, a multiplicity of different spiritual exercises that we do throughout the day or part of our week. Our attachment is not to God. In other words, we're not using these things to know God. We're kind of using these things. We get a little bit of satisfaction out of them. We feel like we can pat ourselves on the back about how well we're doing in prayer because we've done all these different kinds of meditations and vocal and mental prayer exercises. But what's really going on in, in that satisfaction we're seeking is that you're right. There's a fear of solitude and silence, a fear to meet the Father who is waiting for us in power. And this is what Blessed Elizabeth is talking about in terms of being able to welcome the Word. The Father is the one who fully welcomes His Son. We saw in day 10, but now it comes up here in day 11 again. Uh, what is it about the Father that allows Him to welcome the Son? The Father is silent love. It's a loving solitude. And it's loving solitude that welcomes Jesus. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see any number of times 
that Jesus withdraws into the silence. He loves to pray at night. He loves to pray in solitude. Well, when he's physically withdrawing into silence and solitude, spiritually, he's going to be with his father because his father is this solitude of love, this loving silence. And you're right uh, to say that people are afraid to go there. And Elizabeth kind of anticipates this because she says, it's in this loving silence that the power of God, the power of the Father, is blessing us and making us ready for a deeper kind of encounter. And John of the Cross would say, this deeper kind of encounter with God is absolutely necessary if we're going to arrive at spiritual maturity. She also says this, The Lord brought me into a spacious place because he was gracious toward me. The Creator, seeing the beautiful silence which reigns in his creature and gazing on her wholly recollected in her interior solitude, is enamored of her beauty and leads her into this immense, infinite solitude, into this spacious place sung of by the prophet, which is nothing else but himself. I will enter into the depths of the power of God. Just in your own experience, Chris, with some of the people you've been privileged to work with, do you think there is a confidence that God has allured them into a solitude where he can speak to them? Or do you think people are afraid that if they go into the solitude, they might not find him? I think fear always plays an element. I think the idea of a God that loves us so much, unless, let me rephrase that, a father that loves us so much, that encountering that love, what would we have to give up for that? And so I think sometimes it's much easier if, I know in my own case, if I can control things around me, then I'm sure, because I've worked so hard to put my, my little life all in place. And yet, I think that's when we go into that quiet, what are we going to encounter? And are you going to ask something of me? Or, or am I going to have to do something, like give up something? And I think that's where it's difficult if you don't have a guide, either a, a spiritual director or a spiritual friend, or even the reliance on the saints like Blessed Elizabeth or St. John of the Cross to walk with as you are, I think, being introduced to the Father that's always been with you. Does that make sense? Yes. I think a spiritual guide can help you, an earthly one like a spiritual father or a mentor or older brother or sister in the Lord, or sometimes a good spiritual friend is important. I also think, as is the case that with this series that we're doing now, learning the wisdom of the saints can be reassuring. Because this is kind of a critical moment in the spiritual life where the Lord is asking for an extra and an extra kind of trust. And I think actually people who are more accomplished and competent in many things, this kind of letting go 
this sort of solitude and silence requires is harder for them because they've gotten good at being in control of a lot of things and they want to be in control of their life of prayer in the same way, kind of setting the parameters in which their encounter with God is going to take place. You know, I'm going to learn about this virtue today and I'm going to work against this vice today. And Elizabeth, she's not saying that any of that is wrong, but she's inviting us to something a lot deeper. It's specifically the people that she's speaking to are those who have been working at the spiritual life for a little while. And as they work on the spiritual life, they notice little tendencies in their heart that are very difficult. They, In fact, with their own efforts, they feel like they haven't been able to make any progress. For example, one of the things that souls that have already begun the spiritual life, but God is calling them to a greater stability, these souls might deal with something like brooding over injury. Somebody says something to them, looks at them cross-eyed, or does something worse, and such a brooding spirit just can't let go of the hurt that was done. And they might know that it was wrong for them to brood. They might know that it's important to forgive. They might know that it's important to make a little extra effort to be joyful. And yet this thing kind of habitually pulls them down. Elizabeth knows that God has the power to strip them of brooding. But in order for God to strip them of brooding, they need to have the courage to enter into the silence and solitude of the Father so that he can communicate his strength to them. Why do they need strength? Not to overcome brooding. They need strength to be able to say yes to the Word. The Word is what does the stripping. And who is the Word? The Word of the Father. This is Jesus. The Father speaks his Word to us. When he speaks Jesus to us, Jesus communicates all goodness and all truth and all beauty into our souls. And when that fullness is communicated into us and we say yes to it, when we consent and say yes to the Word like the Blessed Virgin Mary, let it be done unto me according to your Word, then the stripping happens easily. It's painful, but it happens easily. And we were able to let go of, in this instance, let go of that brooding that has been holding us back and our intimacy with God and our service to one another. So do you see how this kind of contemplative prayer, this kind of mental prayer that doesn't involve so much uh, all kinds of meditations or uses of the imagination or considerations of this virtue or counteracting it with this vice. In this kind of prayer where you simply surrender to the silence and you welcome the word, the word of the Father into your heart, you say, yes, do with me what you will. This is a more receptive, uh, you could say passive stance. I'm not going to try to set the parameters of this relationship Lord, you do with me what you will. Then the word of God, the, the Son of the Father, has the freedom to begin to strip the soul in certain ways because that soul which consents to his coming, that welcomes him, that soul is available to him, vulnerable to his power because he does have the power to cut right through bone and marrow, right into the depths of the heart. And the reality is, when we have attachments to sin, whether it's rash judgments or brooding over injury 
or anxiety and fear, whatever the things are that are holding us back, there's some of that we can work on, the voluntary part of it we can work on, but there's an involuntary part that only the Word of God can free us from. And the Word of God frees us from it by piercing us to the heart. And we can only be pierced to the heart if through entering into silence and solitude, we receive the strength of the Father, the strength alone that allows us to say yes to the Word. That's so powerful. I mean, it reminds me of when she spoke of abyss meets abyss. Mm. When the, you described it as the, the abyss of our misery encounters the abyss of God's love. It's a very similar idea. In fact, you're right to make that connection that our, the misery in our heart is not the deepest abyss. There's an abyss of mercy. God is present in the misery or absence of love our soul suffers. He's present in us and he's waiting for us to go down and humbly offer ourselves to him in that misery, humbly accept his love. And in fact, the next paragraph, 28, Elizabeth actually says, you know, it's not enough just to say yes to the word, but we need to keep it. When the abyss encounters abyss, this is not like a one-time event, now I've moved on. It requires kind of a walking with the Lord through through what's going on in my heart. And, and so that when I recognize things like either brooding over injury or resentment or bitterness or lack of forgiveness or rash judgment or self-pity, when I recognize these things, I instead of being down on myself, oh, this is, you know, I'm falling into this again, just going, oh, here's something else I can offer to the Lord. When we are offering all these things to the Lord, we're exposing these things to the light of truth. And it is the truth that sanctifies us. So keeping the word, saying yes to Jesus, welcoming him, letting him dwell with us, means living in a place where we're allowing him to expose kind of the brokenness of our lives to the light of day so that we can see it for what it is and then surrender it to the Father. But it is not enough just to listen to this word. We must keep it. And it is in keeping it that the soul will be sanctified with the truth. And that is the desire of the Master. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To the one who keeps his word, has he not made this promise? My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Keeping the word, that means exposing the different movements of our heart to the truth revealed by the Father through his Son, submitting things to the cross of Jesus Christ crucified, giving him this brokenness. What it does is it makes space as we give these things to God, it makes space in our hearts for the Father to come to us and dwell with us and be present to us. And this is the awesome thing about the victory of good over evil. As we make space in the midst of all our imperfections, 
the presence of God begins to take over our hearts, God never needs to overpower evil in our lives. He's already conquered it. God doesn't need to crush it in a, a mighty moment. He's able to be present in the face of it. And all he requires from our part is our humble surrender of this brokenness to him again and again and again. Pope Francis says that God never gets tired of forgiving. We get tired of asking for forgiveness. And to, to have the Father dwell in your heart means to learn, just as the Father never gets tired of forgiving, we need to learn never to get tired of asking for forgiveness. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.